Hey there, this is Daniel. Thanks for listening to DIY Money. Now, if you haven't already, be sure to give us a five-star review so your friends know that this is a show that they can learn from. Follow us on Instagram at DIY.money. Now, enjoy this episode. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to another edition of DIY Money. DIY Money. Daniel, YouTube blowing up. It's about time. Yeah. I guess we struck a nerve. Well, I think that it was wise of us, and I think helpful. The feedback we got was from a lot of folks who found some value in our assessment of the GameStop shenanigans. And uh, hopefully you didn't get caught up in that nonsense because, I don't know, stocks what? Back to... 90-something Yeah, today? it's still 90-something, though. I mean, it's still ridiculous. Yeah, but hopefully you weren't buying... Buying at 350 or 400 yeah, Holy we talking cow. About it, but. Yeah. Anyways, if you haven't checked that out yet, go to DIY Money on YouTube. Just type it in. It comes right up. It's pretty awesome. And we're working on the site, DIYMoney.org, where you will also find it on the homepage. So stay tuned for that. Other housekeeping odds and ends. Uh, DIY Tribe. Boom. Blowing up. Kind of the DIY motivational whatever. Some fun stuff going on in there. Somebody uh, posted uh, a nook and cranny, if you will, about Fitness Bank. You heard of this? Fitness Bank? Fitness Bank. Never. Fitness Bank is a, I think, what you'd call a shadow bank tied to another bank. So I think there's a... Shadow Bank sounds awfully shady. It does, but I think that it's a branding thing that's tied to uh, an actual legitimate FDIC-insured bank. But Fitness Bank... Like Simple Bank used to be. Yeah, exactly. Before they imploded. Fitness Bank gives you a different rate on your money based on the number of steps you walk on a daily basis. So you have to have your wearable smartwatch tied to Fitness Bank. And if you walk more than 12,000 steps a day, you get, I think, almost 1% on your money. If you don't, then you get like, you know, half a percent. And it's an average, I think, on a, on a monthly basis or something like that. So that's just a great, cool concept. But that's the kind of stuff we're sharing over there that you'd know about, not looking at me like I got three eyeballs, if you'd ever hop on in there. It's unprofessional! Uh... Is there anything in the terms and conditions about putting the thing on your dog or your kid or whatever? Probably not, but I have not. Uh, I've not looked into it. It's also there's some stipulations. You can't put hundred grand there. You know, you can't put. Why not? There, there's well, I think there's again, it's kind of gimmicky, but sure. I think there's, uh, you know, there's a certain uh, uh, level which you have to keep, but you can't put too much in and yada yada. But I thought it was neat. I thought it was an interesting thing. I think it's ironic though that you go through so many hoops to get. Point seven five or point whatever it is on your money. That's just absurd. It's craziness, but it's very absurd. All right, let's go. We got a good question today from Brett. This is a lengthy one, but I brought it out because I think a lot of people out there face this, and it's not just true in a private company. It's also true in a public company. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. Brett, what do you got? D-I-Y. Hi, Quentin Daniel. This is Brett from the far reaches of the Northern California coast in the tiny town of Manila, or Manila by the sea if you want to get fancy. I found your podcast back in January and binged on it during long bike commutes and weekend rides. It's been an immense help in my wife's and my personal financial planning, and I can't thank you enough. My question has to do with purchasing shares from your employer. 
I work for a private, worldwide engineering consulting firm that offers shares to qualifying employees. I've purchased shares here and there without much of a plan, but would like to be more thoughtful about my approach. I recently found out that higher level staff, known as associates and principals, aka my boss and my boss's boss, are expected to invest what seems like a substantial amount in company shares, to the tune of a few hundred thousand dollars. Becoming an associate or a principal may be a path I'm interested in professionally, but I'm not sure if this kind of financial investment in my employer is wise. Assuming all other debt is paid with the exception of a mortgage and a three to six month emergency fund has been set aside, can you speak to the benefits and drawbacks of investing in shares with your employer and the percentage of your portfolio that might be recommended to allocate to this type of investment, if at all? Also, the chair of the board of directors would say that the investment is well diversified given the company is diverse in its geographic locations, offerings, and types of clients. But is it in fact a diversified investment if the company is also your primary source of income? Thanks fellas, keep up the great work. All right, that is a fantastic question that we could go down a lot of rabbit holes. So, um, and we will. We'll go down a few of those. So, yeah, should, should we call Brett the Thrilla? Sure. Why? <laughs> the Thrilla in Manila. Sure. There will be a Thrilla in Manila. Privacy. Anyways, fellow cyclist though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you he go. He actually shout goes out. outside. I just. Ride in my garage at 4 a.m. Well, because it's probably just beautiful. I mean, not that Kentucky's not beautiful cycling, but... Anything called Manila by the Sea is probably I mean, awesome. Northern California, this Pacific Coast. I mean, it's just wonderful out there. Fantastic. Anyways. DIY money meet up there. DIY money meet. Yeah. Um, all right. Go ahead. What do you got for Thrilla? Well, there's a couple questions within the question, I guess. Uh, one, I'm going to kind of knock on the chair of the board of directors saying that this is a diversified investment. And I'm hoping you're quoting him wrong. I think what he was trying to say was the company is probably diversified in its income streams and maybe business units and stuff. But generally speaking, any one investment is not diversified. So that backs into kind of your other questions as far as, you know, how much do you put into something like this? And I think that is definitely situational. Uh, it really comes down to really looking at your personal financial plan, what you can really afford to lose, what the lockup periods are, if there's any market that you can sort of sell some if you needed to. Usually in these situations, as far as private goes, uh, the opportunities to to kind of cash out along the way, either there aren't really many opportunities to cash out along the way, or it's kind of not really looked highly upon uh, once you're kind of ponying up, especially if you're going towards that associate or principal level uh, where there's an expectation that, that you're kind of an owner. Uh, so it's important to know that and how that sort of lockup applies to the liquidity that you want in your life. Uh, various people you know, want various levels of liquidity. Now, whether or not it's smart to sort of invest where you eat, uh, that being, you know, putting your money into the company that also pays your bills, uh, your mortgage, and your grocery bill is something that you have to wrestle with personally, because you definitely have to understand that if the company really starts to face hard times, you now have lost whatever percentage of your wealth you've put in there, plus potentially your salary, whether that's just a salary cut or you lose your job. And so that is something important to keep in mind. Generally speaking, if we were talking about a public company, um, so somebody who works at, say, I don't know, Apple, and then has an Apple stock purchase program, I don't know if they have one, but I would hopefully assume that they do. You know, I, I think if you believe in the company, if you kind of know the company on the inside, I think you could, now again, not personal financial advice, but generally speaking, 
you know, somewhere plus or minus 10% is, is potentially, you know, a reasonable number to start with because you kind of know the company. You want kind of a vested interest in the company and you want to be able to succeed as the company succeeds. But I think there's no harm in diversifying your own personal financial life and personal financial investments into other great companies out there uh, that will succeed as well. Good answer. <clears throat> it was kind of broad. I, I hope you're going to get a dial in a little bit. But. 10%. 10% solid. You like that? My general rule of thumb, 10%. No more than 10%. Don't let it grow to more than 25%. That's and the key, just my general rule of thumb for people with private investments in their own company. I like it. The key here being it's not, well, you said your own company, but it's a... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who he you doesn't have for. complete control. So it's not no, like no, he's who a self-employed individual whose right. net worth is wrapped up in is literally his own company. Yeah. It's a company that somebody else controls, so therefore bringing down that risk. Because, I mean, self-employed individuals have a lot of their equity built up in their own company for some period of time, usually. Enough to provide alpha. You can look that one up. Uh, not enough to destroy you in the event you run into financial problems uh, as a company or you know, as an individual. So that's just my general rule of thumb. Um, now, a couple of things, caveats. You have, Brett, one of the best opportunities because you are buying into a business that is going to be valued based on its pure intrinsic value. Basically, what a private company is going to do is they're going to use a standard metric to value their company every year. You should know what that is. You should be. You should learn what that is. I think that'll be a good um, opportunity for you to learn more about the business. Basically, what they're going to do is they're going to look any given year at uh, tangible book value, which is going to be assets minus liabilities, and they're probably going to apply some multiple to that to create a stock value. And so, again, you're buying shares in a publicly, I'm sorry, privately held company, but you're not subject, what you're not, you're not doing is, is investing in a publicly traded company that has tangible book value, a multiple, and then it's going to be swayed up and down by the mood of the general market. And the third variable is where you really get into problems with, with investing because, you know, you could be in a great company that's selling, you know, at a discount based on, you know, intrinsic value and a general multiple, but the market just is throwing a fit and, you know, you're looking at your portfolio going down and you have a sizable position in there and you're like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? This is terrible. And you make terrible or rational decisions. You're not going to have that challenge and you're not going to have that challenge as my guess is, is that probably sometime around the, you know, first quarter of the following year, they tell you what the stock price has appreciated in the previous year. And again, it's, it's more than likely tangible book value with some sort of multiple in your industry um, involved. And so, you know, if it's consistent, then, and the business continues to grow, that's great. Uh, you also have a great look into what the business is doing. So in the event uh, that, you know, you know, oh, my goodness, you know, we're starting to really lose jobs or we're making we're going down a path. that's it's not that you're going to go out and sell off shares, uh, you know, but you might limit your buying for sure. So I think there's a great benefit and a great opportunity you have to be a buyer here. But I think you have to keep it in, in a reasonable uh, allocation among your overall portfolio. I'll say the final thing is that this is also 
and why it's going to be encouraged by upper management is this is a good exit strategy. So more than likely, when you're buying shares, you might be buying shares from somebody in upper management who's retiring or somebody who's selling shares because they're exiting the company. So there has to be this kind of liquidity pool that's transpiring. And I, again, I mean, I'm guessing that the, the, the company has a policy to buy your shares back, you possibly even retire shares, etc. So I think you need to learn more about it. I don't think you should be nervous about it one bit. Um, I think you need to be cognizant of how it's how it's uh, the values created, et cetera. So that's regarding your situation, private company, et cetera. I don't think there's much difference regarding the public side. Uh, and a lot of times public companies give give individuals the ability to get shares at a discount. They have a discount purchase program. Uh, and it's typically very advantageous for the person. So they look at maybe two times a year uh, at the price, and then they give a 15% discount, sometimes even more, uh, below that level. I'm a big believer. Some people go in, they'll buy it, they'll flip them immediately, and they're like, look, I'm making 15% on my money every time I do that. I, I don't know. I, I, yes, you are. Net of taxes, whatever. But that's not, the re- that's, not the, that's not why they're doing it, first of all. And that's not the way you accumulate wealth. The way you accumulate wealth is... If you work at a company that gives you a discount and you have the ability to participate in that, again, in that 10% range as far as your allocation is concerned, and you get it at a discount, I think that's a wise thing to do. That being said, be careful of drinking the overall Kool-Aid, and if something changes in the economy and the market and, the, and your company starts to you know, decline, you're going into areas that, you know, that, that is not working, uh, maybe you pull back from that, or maybe you even sell some shares, those sort of things. This is a great opportunity for people to get more educated about long-term investing. I'm going to f- conclude by saying this. This is what I fear is happening in this market. In fact, this happens every cycle. Over the next probably several years, people think it's like maybe weeks until this market tops out. I tend to disagree. That's just my opinion. But over the next several years, this market will move farther and farther away from investing and will go more and more to speculating. And that will happen across the board when people are doing their 401ks, they're doing their, their stock purchase plans in their companies. And we will move far, far away from that. Ultimately, that's what will burn the market and burn all the participants. I think use listeners of, of the DIY money and the tribe and all, I mean, we have to be of a mindset that we're investors. We're buying into companies. We're buying into intrinsic value, and we're looking to create wealth over the long term. And if you do that, then you'll be, you'll be fine. If you go out going, oh, you know, I got to buy this XYZ because it's just going up and blah, 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 you're going to get burned. I'm, I'm just going to tell you, you're going to get burned. So anyways, Brett, that's my two cents on it. I, I think it's a great opportunity. Understand the multiples. Understand how they value the company. Uh, keep it within reason. You'll be great. Sounds good. You talked about tangible book value being one way that they might value a company, but in a service-based business where maybe there is not necessarily tremendous book value, would True. would it be likely that they might see a price to sales or a mm-hmm. trailing yeah. revenue or something of that nature, different types of multiples? Yeah, it'll, it'll probably be a multiple on net income. Uh, so at the end of any given year, they would have a net income. Again, my guess is when they started an employee mm-hmm. stock purchase plan, they had to create, and I don't know what the, the, the document is, um, but they had to create a document that said, this is how we value the company. Learn what that is. Learn mm-hmm. what that is. I will say this, Brett. This is, and this is what I teach at the university. So, so Warren Buffett will typically always look at his companies based on how they're growing their tangible book value, their intrinsic value. 
And so if you ever read a Warren Buffett letter, Berkshire Hathaway letter, you will see him talk about that. And he will actually outline two columns of the investments he owns. One will be the stock prices over the given year and how the portfolio did from a stock price perspective. The other one will be book value and how the companies grew. And what, what he's saying and what he's trying to in, reinforce there for, for readers is that he doesn't care about the prices of the stock. Now, you might think that's crazy, but what his view is, it's very simple, that if the company continues to grow their book value, their value, their intrinsic value, eventually the stock price will reflect that. That's, that's investing. That's why Warren Buffett is Warren Buffett. Get into that mindset. You will do exceptionally well. This is a good show. I'm proud of you. You know that. I hope you do. This, this particular episode or like the whole show? Well, our show is fire, first of all. It's Just awesome. clarifying. It's awesome. <laughs> fire! Fire! But our, no, this show, like like if we can draw, if we can every once in a while get into some some nooks and crannies that people can take with them, like to say, oh, okay, yeah, you're right. I, I need to stop thinking about making my 15% on my, you know, stock that I buy in June and sell in January. Like, you know, let's be long-term investors, things like that. Sure. I'd really like to get get more into that. Anyways, let's do it. <laughs> Next episode. Next episode. All right, Brett, thanks. You're going to get a $25 gift card from Amazon. And remember, friends, the secret to wealth is pretty darn simple. Live on less than you make. Invest the rest. Do so for a very long time. Make it a great one. Thanks for listening to this episode of the show. If you want content delivered to you regularly, be sure to follow us on Instagram at DIY.money. And if you want your question aired on the show, be sure to send that to us and you'll get a $25 Amazon gift card. This show is for entertainment and educational purposes only and is not intended as personal financial advice. Before making any financial decisions, please do your homework and consult a financial advisor as needed.